0: This is The ADHD Fix, How to Achieve Your Potential, the podcast to help you use 15 proven strategies to discover the many gifts of ADHD. I'm Henry J. Svek, and for over 30 years, I helped others diagnose and treat ADHD. Now retired, I turn my attention back to those 15 strategies I use to help achieve my potential with ADHD. Learning what I did to help myself will help you achieve your success. ADHD is a gift. Let's get started. I hope your day is going well. This is Hank Sveck. So today I'm going to talk about self-esteem, which is probably one of the most elusive concepts uh, related to having ADHD. And actually, it's it's an elusive concept for anyone. Back in the day, uh, would have been 19, I believe, 82 to 84, I did a master's uh, thesis on this topic. And it became clear back then there wasn't a lot new, and there, it's pretty clear today there isn't a lot new, and that self-esteem is generally considered to be situation or task-specific. So you may feel incredibly... Confident in your ability to do a task. Let's, let, let's assume for a moment you, you are incredibly uh, uh, gifted at playing the piano. When sitting in front of piano, your self-esteem for doing that activity would be hopefully very strong, that you'd feel confident, that you're good, that you're able to accomplish what's necessary, and so on. And so that we all go through life with various, if almost compartmentalized, self esteem and I uh, just use myself for an example. I know that I can't do anything that has to do with fixing things, <laughs> whether it's you know, lumber or mechanical or you know any hands-on kind of activity. I am really, really poor at that. So I don't do it. Now I, I just laugh and joke about it, but it doesn't affect how I feel about myself. It's just an accepted fact that I don't do that very well. There are a few things I might be better at, but there are many things I I don't do well, and I just accept that. That's not part of what I do. So my self-esteem in those areas, you would argue, is neutral because I don't have any feelings about it. If if you say to me, "Well, do you feel really bad you can't change the oil in your car?" I go, "No, doesn't." I I really respect people who have those skills, and and that's a good benefit. So that. You always understand that people who have skills that you don't have, you respect, and you obviously should respect everyone, but you you certainly appreciate the skill set. And I find it fascinating when people say that, oh, you know, blue-collar versus white-collar. You know, you sit around and you do your thing. It's, you know, white-collar stuff. You don't have time or understand uh, the blue-collar plight. I think it's incredibly wonderful now that electricians are making a 100 plus thousand dollars a year and are highly valued and carpenters and mechanics and because those are skills i don't have and i totally appreciate the need to have them and respect their um their ability to do so but with adhd early in the game um, and and it's almost like we're stuck for a while everything that happens is cross-conditional so if you have a bad day if you remember back in school If you have a bad day at school, everything's bad. So if, say you're in grade five and uh, a a good friend you have doesn't want to be friends anymore, you come home and your parent says, how was your day at school? And you'd say, horrible, you know, so-and-so doesn't want to be my friend anymore. I'm a horrible person. Uh, No one wants to be around me. Uh, And you just go on and you catastrophize and that becomes self-statements you're making about yourself. And as we grow in age, and hopefully we get coaching or experience from mentors, we understand that self-esteem is very skill-specific. Now let me continue with that in just a moment. Let's take a moment to hear from our sponsor. Assessing ADHD requires more than a five-minute office visit. The experienced multidisciplinary team at OSR Clinics will walk with you and your family through the comprehensive assessment and diagnosis process, and will be by your side when it comes to implementation of strategies and advocacy for your child. Visit osrclinics.com to book your free info session today. That's osrclinics.com. So, as you get through life hopefully and you have experiences that help you focus on an area and this is one of the other issues with adhd sometimes we we have difficulty focusing long enough to get good at many things we get average at things because we we move from one thing to another and i really believe it takes 10 10 years really seems to be a magical window for many things You know, in in, Invest Like a Honeybee or What Grandpa is the podcast, but uh, What Grandpa Learned from His Honeybee is a book Mary and I just wrote. We talk about the need to focus, and it seems that regardless of what we're talking about, there seems to be a 10-year window to get good at something to allow an investment to reach its potential for you to reach your potential if you want to start getting involved in a certain task or skill that may be new to you. You won't really know how well you're doing until you probably put 10 years or more of hard work into it. it, may even be 20 years into, into it. And so that focus is necessary, but if you become an, and we know this from some of the cognitive research on chess players, chess players have been studied many years ago and experts at chess have a certain part of their brain that seems to be hyperactivated, hyperdeveloped, that doesn't necessarily move into other situations. So you can be a world class chess player, but have problems balancing your bank book or your checkbook, or knowing what a good deal is when you go out and buy groceries, or whatever the task may be, and it seems that the more defined you are, in your skill the more you work at being an incredible chess player so 30 40 years later the more that continues to develop but other areas don't because obviously you're not working on them now so that's one issue the the ability and self-esteem to understand that it's very skill specific and young people with adhd need to understand this that if you aren't doing well in this the question is do you need to work for 10 years to get good at it or do you you know focus on other skills where you have maybe an ability to really surpass and and contribute to the world in a different way. The dangers we see, and this has to do with ADHD and non-ADHD, is that when someone becomes very good at one thing, they assume it naturally translates to other occupations, professions, or tasks. And that is why when you look at fraud... And fraud artists out there—they target high-achieving professionals, athletes, um, doctors, lawyers, people who are highly skilled, even accountants in a certain area—become vulnerable because they believe that they are experts at other areas that they have no clue of what they're doing. And so, it's a sort of a two-pronged issue. On the on the one helm with on the one side with ADHD, it's difficult to establish the internal structure to know. And the emotional stability to know that it is okay for me real for me to be really good at this one thing say you're an incredible chef or baker or you love to uh, work with plants or building or whatever it may be uh, scientists whatever it is that in itself is your area of expertise that you work on. And back in the term, we I used to call it selectively enriched. So giftedness is very much a, a sliver of skill. Uh, there are a few, you know, now you might want to strive to be a generalist. You may want to be one who can do all kinds of things. So that if there's trouble out there in the world, you can not only cook and hunt and take care of your family, but you're able to understand how to be environmentally conscious and all those kinds of things. Well, that's that's another goal, for example. So there's that one piece, developing a strong sense of self-esteem based on fact. And so this is why as parents, and, and I have, I'm going to be doing a parenting podcast next time, it doesn't help your child to say they did a wonderful job when they didn't because it doesn't make sense. You're in fact enhancing a confusion inside that child of what is self-esteem because they self-evaluate critically. They know that the work they did wasn't great or the performance they gave or whatever it may be. So while as a parent you may think you're helping your child by telling them what a great job they did even when they didn't, you're in fact harming their self-esteem because what's important is to get honest feedback, honest feedback. And you have to remember that with ADHD, when you accomplish greatness, it's not because of the people that told you you couldn't be successful, it's despite those people. And there are two words to that despite. Don't give them any credit if people tell you, you know, you, you can't do X, you can't do Y, you'll never amount to anything. And I can't tell you the number of times in practice when we would be assessing children. And we'd end up advocating for them because someone in the school would say, this child's never going to go on to college or any post-secondary educational training. And, you know, my brain's saying, this educator's an idiot, but before I couldn't say that, obviously, but obviously this educator's an idiot because they can't predict the future. Child's in grade four, five, six. I don't care if they're in grade t- 10, 11. You can't predict that. You don't know. And, and the fact that the child hasn't Found or discovered that area where they're going to be incredible at is, is an issue of our not giving them enough choices or opportunities to find those areas. We're at fault. Now, the child has to own it in the sense of, you know, if we give you an opportunity and you don't try it, take advantage of it, put some effort into it to determine if it's an area you want to get into, then that self-esteem might get beat up a bit because it's not coming from a place of truth and of course the coaches, if you would call them, more more destructors than coaches are continually telling people they're not what they're not gonna do as opposed to what they can do. So we've all experienced it. I mean I, I think it's we all have stories, you know, I have a number of stories. I think I talk about in the book of the professor who said I didn't have the brains to be in his department, you know. There's just stupid people. Um, coaches who told me you know you shouldn't you should really go to a team that hasn't won a game all year because you might be able to play college football there or it just, it's just it's dumb and and you never even then when I obviously was young I didn't really do things to sort of prove them wrong I just did things because I thought they were the right thing to do and and they would work out so I don't listen to them in the sense of you know oh my gosh all of a sudden you know I'm going to do this to show that guy that or whoever, that professor. I don't really care. I mean, I still think about them. I still wonder, more importantly, how many people's dreams were... were, How many people actually listened to them because of their position of authority? Um, I tell the story uh, in many different places about how when I couldn't get into grad school at Western, uh, they told me I had to take five classes in one year and get an A average, and then they would let me into graduate school at the College of Education. Not exactly Harvard, to tell you the truth. So, and the reason they said that is because in my entire undergraduate life, I don't think I had one A. So I remember when I newly married, and the day we got back, a week after our wedding, I started going to class. And in five, I took five classes in one year while I worked full-time, and I got an A average. Because I had to, because all of a sudden, I realized that was what I needed to do to get into that program. So I get into the program and they, because I had appealed their their decision to reject me. And so I remember we're having a faculty meeting and I spent like six weeks, uh, sorry, six months working on my thesis proposal on self-esteem, which is the topic of this podcast. And the geniuses in the room were on my committee. I had one mentor who I really, really respected. Uh, Merrill Sitko was a savior for me then because he was a mentor. The other people I can't even tell their names because they were negative and they. I just discounted everything they said. But the 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 boss said, not not Doctor Sitko, but the other people said, well. We really don't want, after I did all this, they, they said, we really don't think you have what it takes to do a thesis. We want you to take courses. And I said, no, I'm doing a thesis. And, of course, Dr. Sitko perked up and said, I'll supervise Henry. And they made me do it. But they said, we, we want you to, to make sure you never get a Ph.D. because you'll embarrass us if you go to another school or you try to get your Ph.D and they actually said we we want you to promise that i kind of said oh yeah okay it's kind of like one of those things as a kid you know you cross your fingers and your toes so i did that got through the master's program um i did more than i could and then of course i was accepted into uh, michigan state university to do my phd in school psych and then i guess you could call that the uh spite return They must have forgotten because I came back and actually lectured there for, I don't know, three or four years part-time during those years where I needed to have five jobs to make ends meet. And I actually was teaching the classes at this university for a couple of the professors that were on my committee who actually happened to be on sabbatical. So part-time, I was able to teach their classes. So I guess that was a good ending to that story. But I have to tell you, the self-esteem part, for some reason, call it stubborn, call it whatever I just didn't believe these people when they would say you can't do x y or z it was sort of like one of those okay next like it didn't it just I would just keep doing it I mean it's like it's like you just put your head down you keep going forward until physically you can't do it anymore and maybe that's part of the strategy of building a strong self-esteem with ADHD where you you know, you listen and you pull in those who are your mentors. I had, you know, Dr. Sitko in, at Western, and there are other people. I had uh, a mentor at Michigan State, a couple of them who were incredible, to get me through that program and help me realize my potential. And in college, I had, when it came to sports, I had a, a coach who put confidence in me at certain times and let me, you know, do some incredible things, and I'm very grateful for that. But the people who were negative, I, I just don't even think about them. And I'm hoping if you have ADHD or your child has ADHD, you can be the same way. Grab those folks and listen and work with people who are complimentary and positive, but truthfully honest. As a parent, don't give your child fake props. They know when they're doing well or not. Give them ways to be better. And remember, it's a 10-year window. I'm amazed, that you know, we have there's all kinds of historical, you know, stories to this where Michael Jordan was cut from his, I think, his grade nine basketball program team junior, varsity, or whatever it was at high school. And you think about the, it's just, it's not a surprise because this happens every day in hockey and basketball and sports and music and acting and everything like that, where people are told, you just don't have it. And and, and the solution should be, you know, you're not one of the top 12 right now trying out for this basketball team, but... Because you're six five and 14 years of age, you know here's a skipping rope and a basketball. We're going to work with you. You're going to come to practices and, and we're gonna. You're going to make the team eventually. Those are those are constructive ways to help um, people. And also with ADHD, you know, let's look for those strengths and build on them. So I am Hank for the ADHD fix. I know you might wonder what's this Hank thing. Well, I've kind of focused on moving forward in a in a non-clinical way but i think this podcast gives me a chance to give back some of the experiences i had as a clinician for 30 years so remember to uh, you can head out to what grandpa learned from his honeybees it's a book we wrote about different things that you might want to have a look it's for young people to understand nature a little bit and also money management and also pick up the book the adhd fix that i wrote with my son joshua which this podcast is based on you have an amazing day and we'll talk to you again next week Remember to pick up our book, The ADHD Fix, written by myself and my son Joshua, which provides 15 strategies that you need to use to achieve your true potential, most of which I discuss on this podcast over time, but an important book to get. Remember, you can get it at Audible or Amazon.ca.